We've been studying the life of Elijah. Elijah was a, a, a one of the... In fact, whenever we think of the law and the prophets, we think of Moses and Elijah. And uh, Elijah was a man of faith. He was a man of courage. He was a man who went and, and uh, under the direction of God, God told him, go and announce to the wicked king Ahab that there will be no rain in the land until I say so. And he did that, and three to three and a half years passed, and uh, there was no rain. And then last week, we looked at the great confrontation that he had with the 450 prophets of Baal on uh, Mount Carmel, and there he withstood them to their face, and, uh, and then God sent down fire. Yeah, I know they probably say, well, Lord, we really were looking for rain, uh, not fire. But, uh, but the idea was, he said, uh, all you false prophets, you set up your, your altar, put your sacrifice on it. I'll set up my altar, put my sacrifice on it. And the God that answers by fire, he will be the true and living God. And, of course, the prophets of Baal, they set theirs up. They cried out, and for six hours, nothing happened. And then Elijah got his altar ready, put his sacrifice on it, and just said, Lord, send down fire and consume it. Whoosh! Here it came, burned up the fire, burned up the, the altar, burned up the dust, burned up the water that they had poured on the, on the uh, uh, sacrifice, and, and the people were absolutely overwhelmed. And everybody said, the Lord, he is God. And, uh, and, and then they grabbed the 450 prophets of Baal, took them down to the river, and executed them. And uh, because that was the deal. That was the deal. You know, if, if God answers them by fire, you kill Elijah. If God answers Elijah by fire, you kill the 450 prophets of Baal. So it was kind of a bloody, gory, bad day for the prophets of Baal. But it was a great, wonderful day for Elijah and those that were listening to the truth and worshiping God. Now, what happened next? It's very interesting. Uh, in chapter 18 uh, of uh, 1 Kings, I mean, chapter 18, that's right, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, God had said to Elijah, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. That is the third year of the rain. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. That must have been great news for Elijah. And he knew it would be great news for Ahab and for all the people. And then, of course, the rest of chapter 18 tells the story that we've looked at in the, in the, the last uh, few weeks. And now we're going to look at chapter 18, verses 41 through 46. And this is going to be, by the way, what is Elijah known most for in the Bible? Well, of course, probably the confrontation with the prophets of Baal. But when the New Testament talks about Elijah, it always associates him with, with what? Do you, what do you think of? You think about Elijah was a, a, a man of like passions like we are, but when he, what? When he prayed, when he prayed. And Elijah is associated with a man of prayer. And I just want to talk to you today about prayer. Prayer. If I were to ask how many of you pray, probably everybody would hold up their hand. 
If I ask how many of you are really pleased with your prayer life, probably not many would hold up their hand. Uh, Prayer is the greatest privilege that Christians have. Isn't that right? I mean, the idea that you and I can come boldly, confidently in the presence before the God who created the world and can bring not just our praise and our adoration, our worship, but we can actually make our requests known unto God. Uh, That is just amazing. That's an amazing privilege. Uh, But prayer is also a great mystery, isn't it? And then I get to ask all these questions about, well, well, if, if God already knows what he's going to do, what good does it do to pray? Have you ever thought about that? If you hadn't, I'm sorry I brought it up. But, uh, but most people have. Most people have thought about, well, well, if God is sovereign and God already knows what he's going to do, why should we pray? Well, the short answer to that is what? Because God tells us to. <laughs> the, the Bible tells us to pray. And then the Bible also makes it clear that God not only ordains the end, but he ordains the means to achieve the end. And one of those means is the means of prayer. But then I get asked so many other questions about prayer. If I were to ask you right now, any of you ever have any questions about prayer? How many of you, I don't ask them, but how many of you would say, I've had some questions about prayer, hold up your hand. All right, that's nearly everybody. The rest of you, you just didn't want to hold up your hand. Because <clears throat> everybody's had some questions about prayer. What about unanswered prayer? What about those prayers that we pray and pray and pray, and, uh, and, and why do they not get answered? And the Bible says, you know, that there says you have not because you ask not, but you ask And you don't receive because you're asking selfishly. You ask amiss. You ask the wrong way. And you're asking for something to consume just on your own self. You're not asking it for God's glory. You're not asking it for the right purpose. So a lot of questions about prayer. I won't be able to answer. Well, I certainly won't be able to answer all of them today. I won't be able to answer all of them, period. And there you could come to me privately and spend a week and say, well, I've got all these questions. I just have to say I have some questions about prayer too. But I do know that the Bible makes it clear that God loves to work marvelously and even miraculously in answer to prayer. And uh, the fact that he doesn't answer every prayer the way we ask it should not in any way hinder us from praying. Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Go ahead and say the rest of it with me. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. Yeah, so Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus was a great example of prayer himself. Many times it'd say in the New Testament, and early in the morning Jesus would go out alone and he would spend time in prayer. So I just want to I want to say to you, I am not pleased with my prayer life. If there's one thing that I could change to make it most effective in my life, it would be in that area. That I could have a greater uh, efficacy, a greater uh, 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 intensity in my prayer life. And so many Christians that I talk to, so many pastors that I hear from say much the same thing. And, you know, the disciples never asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to preach. Seminary will do that. They'll teach you to preach, won't they, Mike? Teach us to counsel. Seminary, graduate school can teach you that. Teach us to be better administrators. Teach us to lead building programs, all those kinds of things. Seminary can do that. But as a general rule, seminary doesn't teach people to pray. But when the disciples came to Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We see prayer in your life. We read the stories about men like Elijah who prayed, teach us to pray. And we're told over in uh, James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I think the way the King James said that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then the next verse says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't supernatural. He was, he was just like us. He was just like you and just like me. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, that's the New Testament summary of this Old Testament story. Elijah prayed, and God had told him, Go tell Ahab, no rain until I say so. And Elijah prayed, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And again, Elijah prayed, and God sent the rain. So let's read the story now in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41 through 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And Ahab must have thought, I don't hear any rain. I don't hear any sound of any rushing of any kind. But Elijah said, Ahab, you go, go into your tent or whatever. You, you get you some food, get ready, because rain is coming. There is a sound of the rushing 
of rain. And then look, and so, and then Elijah went up to the top. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. This was an act of humility. This was an act of uh, 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 obedience to a sovereign. And he said, and by the way, it doesn't even tell us that he prayed here. But obviously the implication is that when he got down on his knees and he bowed down and he put his head down to the ground between his knees, he was praying. And so he prayed, and the New Testament tells us that he prayed for the rain to come. And then he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. Hmm. And Elijah said, go again. And he went again. He looked, came back, hmm, nothing. He said, go seven times. Just keep going. Go back again. Third time, nothing. Fourth time, nothing. Fifth time, nothing. Sixth time, come back. Hey, I'm getting tired. I'm going to the top of the hill here, you know, and looking out. I don't see anything. And then Elijah said, go again. Seventh time. And at the seventh time, he came back and he said, behold, a little cloud about the size of a man's hand is rising from the sea. And then Elijah said, go tell Ahab, you better get your chariot ready and go down lest the rain stop you. There's about to be a frog strangling rain, man. You're about to have a gully washer and you better get in your chariot. You better get going because if you delay, your wheels are going to get stuck in the mud. And so, in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, which was the place of his palace. And here's the interesting thing. It's 30 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That's a, that's a longer than a marathon. 30 miles. A marathon's what, 26.2? Something like that. And Elijah, Ahab is going, I don't know, maybe Ahab delayed a little bit. Maybe he thought, well, I don't see any, any, any rain coming. Maybe Elijah got a head start. I don't know. But even at that, to outrun the horse and the chariot and get to Jezreel before Ahab got there, that was quite a feat. And by the way, we're going to see what happened next, the next message on this. But I want to, I just want to give you seven principles of prayer from this story. Now, we've already seen Elijah pray publicly. 
when he was there in front of all of Israel, in front of Ahab, in front of the 450 false prophets, the Bible says he prayed for the fire to fall, and it came. But now we have him praying privately. It says he withdrew himself, and he went up to the top of Mount Carmel. It is maybe easier to pray in public than it is to pray in private. Would you think that's true or not? Now, I know some people say, no, it's hard to be harder for me to pray in public. Well, I say for most preachers, it's easier to pray in public than it is in private. Why would that be? Why, would it, why, why is it sometimes easier to pray with a group of people than it is to pray when you're all by yourself. Jesus said when you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees do because they say their prayers to be heard of other people. But he said when you pray, you said, he says go into your closet. Go into your secret place and close the door. And then when you're all alone, you pray to your Father's secret. Why is that harder to do? Any ideas? Y'all get in on this too. Well, why is it harder? What makes it hard to pray privately for people? All right, it's very personal. That's right. Okay, that's good. Can you think of another reason? Why is it hard to pray privately? I, how many of you? Well, no, I won't do that. Just uh, think about it, though. Is it hard for you to pray privately? For one thing, it seems to me like when I pray privately, I, my mind tends to, to jump about. I, I tend to, to think of other things, and I, I, I think of things I need to do or, 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 or even good things, like, well, you know, I need to be studying. I need to be reading my Bible, I need to be uh, preparing a sermon or something like that. And uh, what's, what's another reason that makes it hard to pray privately? To go, I mean, do you think about when you go into your prayer closet or you kneel down beside your bed, you begin to pray, what is, what makes it hard, Ben? All right, sometimes you feel like I'm just talking. That I'm not really praying. I'm not really talking to God. It doesn't seem like my prayer goes about this high and then it stops right there. Any of you ever feel that way? Yeah. All right. It's, it's a test of your faith. That's right. Because the Bible said it's the prayer of faith that God answers. And maybe the reason that it's difficult for us to pray is because it's difficult for us to believe. Uh, unlimited, faith. unlimited faith. All right, that's good. Okay. All right. Okay. That's pray in faith. That's right. Amen. All right. Because God is unlimited, and our faith is to be. That kind of faith to an unlimited God. Let me tell you, Satan 
oppose his prayer. Satan hates for you to pray. There's a little poem that I learned years ago. It said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. And it's true. Satan hates prayer. He opposes prayer. And, uh, and then uh, sometimes our own physical body opposes prayer. You want to, you having trouble going to sleep? Start trying to pray. And the devil will put you to sleep. Say, I'd rather you sleep than pray. And then uh, sometimes prayer, private prayer, is difficult because we don't have a, a pattern or a purpose. We're, we're, we just start, Lord, I want to thank you. And, uh, and then we don't, we just, we don't have a, a plan to pray. And uh, I know it's helped me that the word acts, A-C-T-S, you know, start with adoration. The A is adoring the Lord, worshiping him, just telling him how wonderful he is, how much we're, uh, we love him. And then C is confession where we acknowledge our need, we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge our weakness. And then the T is thanksgiving, where we just begin to thank him and just list the different things we're thankful for. My mother used to say to me when I was a little boy, when I couldn't sleep well, she'd say, son, count your blessings. Just, just tell God all the things that you're thankful for. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And then the S is supplication, praying for God's supply for what we need. So if you have that even as an approach, uh, Martin Luther said, uh, pray through the Lord's Prayer and pray through even the Ten Commandments. Have a specific approach to prayer. Well, Elijah withdrew. He got away from the crowd. He got away from all of the excitement. He got away from all the acclaim. It would have been very easy for him to stay there and been the hero of the day. But he said, no, I need to go and get along with God. So that's the first thing, the private prayer. He withdrew. And then the second I see is the, the, the posture of his prayer. Not necessarily the fact that he knelt down, put his head between his knees. That you know, I, I don't know that uh, there are times that I kneel. There are times I, I used to do it more than I do now. It's a little harder for me to get up now when I kneel down. But uh, uh, I, I'd say I do most of my prayer while I'm walking or after I go to bed. I'll be flat on my back praying. But I, I think the idea here is that the posture of his prayer showed that he was humbling himself before God. He was bowing as low as he could get, saying basically, God, I prostrate myself before you. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know that the actual physical posture makes a difference. Like I say, I pray a lot while I'm walking. And uh, some people think you have to kneel to pray. I don't agree with that. 
I read a poem one time about a guy who was talking about these ministers arguing about which was the best posture for prayer. One said, I stand with arms uplifted. The other one said, I, I always kneel. The other one uh, said this way and that way. And the other one said, well, you know, last year I fell in uh, Farmer Brown's well, and I did my best praying upside down. And I guess, you know, it just kind of depends on your situation. So, uh, but, but I think there is something here that we humble ourselves before the Lord. And then the third thing is that his prayer was based on a divine promise. In chapter 18, verse 1, God said to him, go and confront Ahab, tell him I'm going to send rain. So he had a promise. Now let me ask you this. If... God gave you a promise, maybe even a written promise of some things he was going to do for you, would it make it easier for you to believe it? Do you think maybe God has given us some written promises? <laughs> that book you have in your hand, how many hold your Bible up? Let me see how many Bibles you have. Do you know what those that Bible is filled with written promises from God himself. And if you read those promises and you say, well, you know, I want to be like Elijah. I want to hear what God says he'll do, and then I'm going to believe that he'll do what he said he'll do. And that is what a prayer of faith is. And then the fourth thing, it was a definite prayer. He said, Lord, send the rain. He prayed, Lord, send fire, and God sent the fire. He said, Lord, send the rain, and God sent the rain. It was a definite prayer. I mean, it's one thing to just say, Lord, bless us, but it's another thing to pray specifically for the blessing that you need. It was a fervent prayer, number five. It was a prayer in which he fervently prayed. Now, fervency not, is not necessarily volume. Some people think they'll be heard for their loud speaking. Not necessarily so. Fervency has more to do with the intensity of our passion in our heart. God, please, I come before you and I am appealing to you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And then I see number six, his watchfulness in prayer. He says, I'm going to pray. And then he says to his servant, go look. See if the answers come. He goes, he comes back. I didn't see anything. He could have said, well, I guess I misunderstood God. Or he could have said, well, I did pray. Nothing happened. But what he said was, Go look again. I'm still waiting. Seven times. Go look again. He was waiting for the Lord. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. We sing this sometimes. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. He said, I'm watching. I'm waiting for God to answer. 
Do not pray just one time and say, well, I brought it before the Lord. No. And that's the seventh thing is the perseverance that he had. He just kept praying, kept praying. God, you said you were going to send rain. So I'm appealing to you, send that rain. And when the servant came back and said, I didn't see any rain, didn't see even a cloud. He said, I'm just going to keep praying. I know God promised I'm going to keep praying. And he kept praying. Jesus told a parable about this woman, this widow, who came to a judge, and the judge was a corrupt man. He was a a calloused man. He didn't have a heart for people nor a heart for God. But the widow had a need, and she came and said, uh, said, Judge, will you hear my case? Will you take care of this situation for me? And he said, I'll go away. I'm not interested. She came back again. He said, go away. I'm not interested. She came back again and again and again and again. And finally, he said, all right, all right, all right. Even though I don't care about you and I don't care about God, you're about to wear me out. So I'll hear your case and I'll settle your, uh, your case because of your perseverance. Now, when Jesus told that story, he wasn't saying that God was like that corrupt judge. What he was saying was that we need to be like that widow who doesn't give up. She just keeps on praying, keeps on praying. So... Amen. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and many times he delays his answer really to test our heart. To see it's like you said, God hears us instantly when we pray the first time. And he knows that the answer is ready. But he wants us to be ready to receive the answer. And he tests our heart. Many times by withholding the answer until the right time. Well, these, uh, this passage has challenged my heart this week. I want to be more faithful in prayer. I want to be more fervent in prayer. And uh, I want to see God send the fire, but I also want to see him send the rain. And we're praying, we prayed last week for a revival fire. And today we pray for showers of blessing and fulfillment in that way. Well, let's pray. And you take a minute and pray, just right now, just right there where you are. Just adore the Lord. Confess your need for him. Thank him for what he's done and is doing. And then ask him to meet your needs.
Heavenly Father, there is much about prayer that we don't fully understand. But what we do understand is that you have commanded us to pray. You have invited us, even commanded us, to come into your presence based on the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice in our behalf, believing that you have put into our heart the very desires for which we're to pray. And I ask you, Father, to help us become more faithful in prayer. I pray that for myself. Or that you will help us to be more fervent in our prayer and help us to pray in faith, believing that what we ask for, based on your word, based on your promise, based on your will, and based on your name and glory, will be done. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning we sing a hymn of invitation. You could uh, say, I want to be a, a Christian. I want to know Jesus. I want to come to him in faith. We'd welcome you to do that. You may need to come and say, I want to be a part of this church family. We'd welcome you to do that. But really the invitation in my heart this morning has been, God, I want to be a more faithful, fervent warrior in prayer. I want to, I want to learn more about how to cry out to you in praise, in prayer, and in worship, and to bring my needs to you in faith. If you need to come this morning in any way, you come as we stand together and as we sing. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.